All right, to disappoint you all, uh, there, would, there would have been a time, but uh, Lorraine now does all my clothes arrangements, and she doesn't let me wear jeans tight enough to make a Bee Gees re- re- uh, reference, and so there will be no Bee Gees reference, because my jeans are, do not fit the Bee Gees. Uh, As an 18-year-old, I left rural Saskatchewan pretty green. I did not have a lot of knowledge of the world, and I went off to the U.S. to a city of about a million people to go to college. And there, during my first week, there was some sort of promotional, and it talked about all you had to do was go to this seminar for a brief time, and they would give you this high-quality watch for me giving them opinions about fashion. And I thought that was pretty funny because, you know, especially, I mean, none of you have ever seen pictures of what I, my fashion was back in those days, pre-Laray. Um, but it wasn't good. And... But they were going to give me a high-quality watch. I needed one of those. And then the day that they were going to do this was on a Tuesday afternoon, the importance of a Tuesday afternoon. That was the only day I didn't work my job during university. So I was my day off in the afternoon, Tuesday afternoons. I had no class. All I had to do was bike all the way across the city, and I would get this incredible watch. And so I biked across the city that day, went into the seminar room, sat in there, and these displays of incredible watches. Uh, And I started rating them and saying which I liked, which I didn't, and all the time thinking, which one of these is going to be mine? And getting more and more excited. Well, after what ended up being a lot longer than I had hoped it was going to be, they brought out the watches they were giving to us. I never knew they could make watches out of tinfoil. That watch never ever really worked. The only thing that I got out of that afternoon was a fun bike ride, and I got schooled in when it's too good to be true, it's it's not true. And so today, as we come, we're going to be looking at Genesis 12 to 50. That's not 1515, that's 50. Um, If you want to do the quick math, it's over 1,200 verses. Seminary I went to taught us to preach verse by verse. That's the only way you do it. Um, Karis, it might be a good idea if you got the uh, popcorn, SU popcorn machine going. We might need it. No, we will uh, try to get you out of here on time. Uh, Out of actually, uh, you know, what we have been doing in this series, we looked at the first week with creation, and we realize that our God spoke everything into existence, that he is a God who speaks, he is a God who communicates, and that leads to the fact that he is a relational God, that he wants a relationship with us. Last week, we saw, heard Kevin go through this framework, what he called for the Bible, where we saw that God had made everything and that it was very good. But the problem of sin came in, and then that brought God's judgment. And at the end of it, he gave us a glimmer of hope that there is God's mercy and grace. And it's into that idea of God's mercy and grace that I want to start to Look at Genesis today and the specific chapters of 12 to 50. But before we get there, I want to actually go into a New Testament verse. And we're going to look 
at a New Testament verse, and it says, may God, this from 1 Thessalonians, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you start to think about what that is actually saying. This is Paul's prayer, and Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this prayer for the Thessalonians. I think that you can make a case that this is somewhat of a covenant that God is entering into, that the God himself, the God of peace, is going to sanctify you through and through. He is going to make you holy. Not just part of you, part of it, this, no, body, soul, spirit every part of you. And when it says you will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, it's not you will be made blameless at the coming. You will be kept. If I'm going to be kept into a blue t-shirt, that means when I come up to that moment, I'm already wearing the blue t-shirt. If I was to be, have my t-shirt changed, then it would say that, that they were going to change that t-shirt, but it says that you are going to be kept blameless, meaning that God sees you as blameless. That's an audacious statement right there. That is something. So now, file that in the back of your mind. We're going to come back to that, and let's move on to, if we're going to talk to Genesis 12 to 50, And if we're not going to have Dr. Roberts absolutely start throwing things at me, what do we have to start with? Well, the context, but where in Genesis 12 are we going to start? It better be. So here we go. Oh, and then the clicker doesn't work. Okay, no. See, there we're there. Okay. So the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. All right, just in case you're a little sleepy this morning, what's the key word in this passage? It's blessed, right? If you miss that, you really need to start drinking Red Bull. Um, And so, you know, it's this idea, Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant on which God is going to base how he's going to deal with his people is centered on this idea that it's all about God blessing you. This becomes a pretty audacious covenant that I am going to take, because it's not, not, you guys know this context, He's an old guy with no kids, and he's going to become a great nation. He is going to, we're going to find out, inherit all kinds of land. But now he's being told, leave whatever land you have and go to someplace completely new. As an old guy, you're going to go start all over. And then I'm going to bless the whole world through you. You're going to have that kind of influence. Well, if you're going to get blessed, you know, be a blessing to the whole world, you need some sort of cohort, entourage with you. But he's telling them, leave everything, and it's just going to be you, your wife, 
and your nephew, and that's all that you're going to have. This is an audacious covenant that God makes with Abraham. And yet we know that Abraham obeys and he goes. And it's at that point that he goes and you think, wow, this guy has incredible faith. He's grabbed this all and he is amazing. And then later in the chapter, he goes down to Egypt because of a famine and all of a sudden he gets nervous by what is going to happen there because he has a beautiful wife. And that could cause him problems. And so he comes up with this plan and he says, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Okay, what did Abraham just forget? He just forgot the whole promise that he's gonna be made into a great nation. He can't become a great nation because he doesn't even have a son yet or he doesn't have any children yet. And yet, you know, so if they kill him down there, it's all over and the promise is gone. That he is, you know, anybody who does anything against Abraham, God is going to judge. I will curse those who curse you. And yet he's scared of the Egyptians. And we see that he goes into a time of fear. And, you know, and yet that's not where he stays. You know, he eventually comes back into the land that God told him to be in. And all of a sudden, God is blessing him and his flocks are increasing. And his nephew Lot's flocks are increasing. And so they have a problem. They need more land. They can't stay together because they can't get enough pasture for all the flocks that they have. And so they need to separate. Now, all this land has been promised to Abraham. He is the elder one. He is, uh, he is the patriarch of this little community that is becoming. And yet he turns to his nephew Lot and he tells him, what land do you want? You get first choice. Culturally, that doesn't make any sense. The idea that God has given this, he could say, no, this is all my land. God has given it all. Lot, go find your own place. Instead, he says, Lot, take your land. And what does Lot do? Lot, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and... Abraham gets, or Abram at this point, gets what's left. At this point, I see Abram saying, God has promised me all of this. I don't have to go grabbing for it. God will give it to me in his time. And we see in the life of Abram here that, okay, there was, there was a moment of faith that he could trust God to give it. Something had changed from the... Um, previous chapter where he felt that he couldn't uh, trust God. And then it comes to the real test in his life because this whole promise, this whole idea that the covenant that God gave him and by this time it has been given to him a second time, he's had it reiterated, but the problem is if I'm going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, I need to start with one and he doesn't have one. And his wife is getting older. He is already way past old. And it just doesn't look like it can happen. And at that point, his wife, Sarai, steps in and says, 
that go sleep with my slave, perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarai said. And so there is this pressure on this couple that something has to change. God has promised this, it's not happening, we've gotta make it happen. That we have to step in and realize that something's gone amok with this promise and we don't know what the problem is, but how do we make it happen? And they start to use their human reason. They lose the faith to say, hey, God make this promise, God will fulfill this promise. And they go down this road, and as you read the rest, Ishmael is the son that is born, and that starts a, a bit of a problem in, the, in Genesis. There is now rivalry between what will become the, the promised heir of Isaac and Ishmael, and this continues on uh, throughout the history of Genesis, that there is this rivalry that goes on there. And God tells them very quickly that no, this is not how it will be, that it will not be through Ishmael that the promise is given. It will be through Sarah and it will be uh, by the child that she bears. And so Isaac, in time, Isaac is born and I'm sure that gives them a bolster to their faith. And then God makes the incredible claim on Abram and he tells Abraham, go and offer Isaac. At this point, you have to realize God had not revealed everything about his character, not that we know everything about God's character, but we know an awful lot more than they did. That Abraham at this point, Abraham at this point he knows that God has started to fulfill some of the covenant that he gave him. He has seen God work in his life through some miraculous events when he goes and rescues Lot, his nephew, from all of those kings that came and captured them, and he went and defeated all those kings. He had to know that God was with him and that God was blessing him. But did he know that God was against child sacrifice or not? Did he have that information? I mean, there hadn't been one probably. God had not asked anybody to offer their child, but... Could he now be changing and this was a new addition? He didn't have the commandments that, uh, that we have the joy of reading and being able to see how God is, holds life sacred. And all that he had was the promises out in Genesis 9, that the Noahic covenant talking about that. And so there he gets told that you will go and offer your son Isaac on Mount Moriah. And from the book of Hebrews, we are given some insight into Abraham, what, Abraham, what he was thinking. So from Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises, and there we get the key. Abraham had embraced the promises. Genesis 12, the second half, we see in his actions, he hadn't exactly embraced the promises yet. In the moment when Sarai and him decide that the heir will come through Hagar, they had not embraced the promises. But at this moment, it says he had embraced the promises. And if God has promised that my descendants will be as numerous as the stars, then this little blip in the road here is not going to upset that. 
So he who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And at that point, you think, how much evidence did he have that God raised people from the dead? Was there a lot of examples of of that happening? And I don't think so. You know, but he reasoned God is the creator of life. God can raise somebody from the dead. He was theologizing off of his experience and what he had known and that he embraced the promises to the point that he says, if God has said it, it has to be true and I'm going to trust no matter what. At this point, as we reach... Genesis 24, the story is about to pass away from Abraham's uh, life and start to go to his descendants, but we have this, voice, uh, this verse in Genesis 24. Abraham was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. All right, go back to Genesis 12. What was that word that we saw over and over again? Blessing, blessing, blessing. How does the author of Genesis sum up the life of Abraham? God had blessed him in every way. He embraced the promise and we see him living according to that and God blessed him in every way. And so now it passes on to the next generation, to Isaac, to the child of the promise. And Isaac is just like Abraham. He has to learn what it is to trust the promise through his practice and living his life with God. And he doesn't always do it. He actually does the exact same thing that Abraham did when he goes and lives in the area around Abimelech and he gets worried that people are going to see his wife, Rebecca, and they will want her because she's a beautiful woman and they'll kill him. And so it's like, let's say that she is my sister. And Rebecca goes along with it and God saves them out of that. But you know, the same thing that happens. And then there is the problem that uh, she does not, Rebecca again, does not have a child right away. And so it's not until Isaac prays for her and then God blesses her with a child. And she realizes that something is, is a little bit unique about this pregnancy, that there is, a, there is a war going on inside of her. And she inquires of God, what is happening here? And God tells her, that one people will be stronger. He tells her that there's actually two nations, that she's gonna have twins and there's two nations inside of her and one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve, uh, will, and the older will serve the younger. Uh, and that they, um, she knows that there is going to be this wrestling uh, and that the older is going to actually be subservient to the younger, which is not the normal way it should be in their culture. That it should be the younger who serves the old. So she knows that that is God's plan. And then when the two are born, of course, you know the story that Esau is born first and Jacob is born 
with his hand grabbing the heel of Esau coming out, like he's pulling him back and he's gonna do that. And it's like, I'm not an obstetrician, but something tells me that was a rough delivery. Um, if, you know, you, cause I don't think that's a good thing when the one hand is up like that. And so, you know, I feel for Rebecca. Um, she fought with them all the time and then I'm sure that was a rough birth and you know, she has no more children. Uh, and she probably was like, yeah, we're done with that. But anyway, that we move on. And so Jacob and Esau, and they have this wrestling match that goes on between the two of them. And I want to really kind of hone in on Jacob here because, uh, you know, he learned from his mother that when God's promises don't seem to be working out, you got you to take it into your own hands and you got to make it happen. And that's what he learned. And so there is the moment where Isaac feels he's getting older and he wants to bless his children. And apparently, whether he knew or he didn't know that Jacob was to be the child of the blessing, he thought it was to be Esau or he was going to make it be Esau. And at that point, Rebecca overhears the plan of Isaac and she, through a system of tricking where she dresses uh, Jacob up to look like Esau and fools this poor old guy who is blind and he blesses Jacob instead of Esau and he, just as God had promised, makes so that the younger is leading the, the older child. Well, this completely upsets Esau, and he's a, he's a hunter, he's a man of violence, and he knows what he's going to do. And at that point, Rebecca tricks uh, Isaac into sending Jacob away. And Jacob goes away, runs away to the place of Bethel, and sleeps overnight out in the, out in the bush. And he has this dream and in the dream, God speaks to him. And I want us to look at this really carefully. And so God says to him, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I will be with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That is an audacious promise to a guy who's a bit of a trickster and has not shown a whole lot of faith. And yet God makes that audacious claim to him. And I just keep thinking, Jacob should be pinching himself and saying, no way, wow, he's gonna do that? And that's not what Jacob does at all. Jacob says, yeah, well, that's gotta be too good to be true. I'm not going with that, I'm making my own deal. And so here's the deal that Jacob makes. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food and to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. 
So Jacob makes his own deal. He says, okay, forget what you said. Let's do my deal. And he comes up with this arrangement. And, you know, there's a lot of similar words in there, a lot of similar phrases about, you know, taking care of me and bringing me back to this area. But there's some major differences between what God said and what God was offering as a covenant and what Jacob wanted. And at that point, now here, look at this. I'll point it out for you if you want to see, you know, bolded in red, this idea that your descendants your descendants will be like the dust and all peoples on earth will be blessed because of you. You see the scope of what God wants to do with Jacob is so much bigger. It's worldwide, it's universal. Whereas again, look at what Jacob wanted. And it says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me, then that on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat, clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household and the Blue Jays win today. Okay, that's a little bit of a reach, but if you look in the Hebrew, I'm pretty sure it's there, right? Okay, this is Blue Jay blue. Lorraine didn't let me wear my actual Blue Jay because it's chapel today, but underneath, that's a Blue Jay shirt. Um, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. All right, I think you can see the difference here. God was saying, I'm going to bless you, but I always bless so that you can be a blessing. Jacob said, what am I getting out of this? It's like, he doesn't even think about his descendants, just me. Me, what am I getting? Jacob was a self-centered, narcissistic, I mean, he's one of us. I mean, he's a North American. Um, you know, he had it to a T. And that's shrunk his idea of what he wanted as a covenant from God. Because he didn't have the faith to believe that God would do anything more with that. And Jacob goes off and God, you know, gives them to, you know, what he said. Now, you know, and you can see in this hole, he goes off to his uncle Laban's house and he ends up finding a trickster just as tricky as he is. And the two of them wrestle over this, out of which, you know, he gets two wives, uh, a whole bunch of animals through a great story of how he does it. I don't understand everything in there, but... Uh, we'll skim over it just because we'll say it's getting close to time and then I don't have to explain what on earth happened with breeding animals in front of sticks and all of that. But um, save that for Torah. Uh, the, uh, but the idea is that even, even in Genesis 30, Laban goes, I know that I've been blessed because you've been here, Jacob. And this idea that Jacob kind of made his own deal and he left out the part that everybody's going to be blessed because of you, but God still fulfilled that. Um, and God met all his needs of he kept him fed, he gave him clothes, he brought, brings him back. And then just as he is ready to re-enter and to meet Esau, he's coming back to his father's home. There is this crazy story in Genesis 32 of Jacob has sent everything away and it's just he by himself and he starts to wrestle with God. 
and he gets into this wrestling match, and Jacob is tough. Uh, he's not going to roll over. He's not going to give up. Uh, he has fought his whole life to get what he wants, and he's not giving up now. And we come to this section, and you know, again, it's you know, there's a lot here that I, I'm going to ask God about someday, exactly what it was. But I'm going to pull something out that I think is we, you know, I can say with confidence. And then it says, "The man that he was wrestling with, let me go, for it is daybreak." But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so at this point, Jacob's hip has been touched. He knows he can't wrestle anymore because God has caused him to, to become lame and he's not going to win, but he can sit there and hold on to God for all he's worth. And he says, God, bless me. Now you go back to the earlier chapters when God said, this is the covenant, this is how I'm going to bless you. And Jacob says, no, let me tell you how you're going to bless me. And Jacob makes a deal. At this point, he is clinging to God and he's just saying, you bless me, no directions from God. You decide what it is that it is for me to be blessed. And this was a changing moment for, for Jacob in his life. Because I think at this point, he realized, I'm done fighting. I am going to let God bless me as he sees fit. He gets to call the shots. And that was a turning moment for, for Jacob. All right, we only have five minutes left. I want to come back to that verse that I showed you at the beginning. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you trust that promise? Can you look at your life and say that some of the stuff that's in there, the hurt, the pain, the addiction, the frustration, can you claim that this promise is true? The next verse after it is really important. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And he will do it. If I was to sum up Genesis 12 to 50, it would be, he who called you is faithful, and he will do it. And we're saying, yeah, he'll do it, but I'll mess it up and then it won't happen. No, read Genesis. They tried to mess it up. They faltered. I mean, their spiritual, I actually charted this on a graph. This will give you an insight into my head of faith, no faith, and just went through story by story. And it's just like this. It looks worse than the S&P 500. Um, you know, just up and down, up and down, up and down. These people struggled and every generation had to relearn what it was to trust God. And, but through it all, God fulfilled his promise because it wasn't dependent on them. It is, as Paul says here, he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. When you read these promises in the New Testament of how God sees you, you have to realize, look at Genesis and say, he is faithful and he will do it. God keeps his promises. God keeps his covenants. Those things that you feel are going to trip you up forever. They are not. They do not have that power to do that. You can have 
the victory. Now, what stops us is when we, um, we don't like to be stretched outside of our comfort zones. You know, when God asks us something that's uncomfortable, like for Abram, no, trust God that he'll take care of you and your wife when you go to Egypt. He can do, he can manage that. That as Abraham learned when offering his son, that was not inside Abraham's comfort zone, but his trust allowed him to go outside his comfort zone. That we have to learn to trust what it is when it exceeds our timelines. And this is a tough one for uh, you know, all of us because we kind of know these are the things we want and we want to have it done by this time and we're not patient to wait for God's timing. You know, we want our kids to be at this stage by this time and we want them to be there and that. Um, You know, true confession, I'd like to be a grandfather, Um, but my kids aren't cooperating. So, you know, I have to be patient. Um, And I'm proud of my kids and I'm glad that they're following God and that they're not making that happen outside, you know, going back to the whole you know, Genesis 16. Um, No, they're not doing that, and I'm very grateful for that. But sometimes it's hard to wait. And I want that. And it's like, okay, but I have to wait. Um, Can we trust God to work his promises? Uh, You know, the, the idea that, do we have to make it happen? The way that Rebecca tricked her husband into giving the blessing to Jacob. The way that, uh, that we can, that Jacob tricked, well, Laban tricked Jacob into taking both his daughters, the way that, you know, all of that tricking that went on, or can we be like, no, God will provide and simply hold it with an open hand the way Abraham did to Lot. Take whatever you want. Um, it's, you know, God will give me what I need when I need it. And then I think, let God's words set your goals. And this comes from the life of Jacob. Uh, Jacob had his own self-centered ideas that he wanted to tell God how he was to be blessed. And that we can do this, God, I, I need this, and I'm gonna have to have this and this and this and this. You know, no, we let God's promises in his words say that he's gonna sanctify us through and through. That's the promise we're clinging to. That God's promise that he... God will be with us even to the ends of the age. That's a promise. We're not clinging to a promise of like, I need to have my degree, a good job. I need to be married. I want kids. I want to be able to live in this neighborhood and to have these kind of, a, you know, we set these things and we don't, we don't say that out loud because it seems very selfish, but we live our lives very easily by that system. And Jacob is a great example And it's like we end up striving after the wind instead of just relying on God to do the promise, which are so much greater. And, but we have to have that perspective. Where do you set the ambitions for your life? Set them from the promises and the covenants of God, not from your culture, what your culture tells you that you need and you deserve. If we do that, then we can look at Genesis 12 to 50 and say, you know what, God will do it because he who called us is faithful and he will do it. And as audacious as these covenants, these promises from God are, he will do it. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for that you are a covenantal God because we don't deserve it. Um, And yet you are faithful to your covenant, to all of your covenants that you have given us. All the promises are yes and amen. Uh, So Father, I pray that when we get too small, point us out, remind us of the stories from Genesis 12 to 50, that we would not be able to stay there in those small covenantal promises that we make, but that we would live large and that we would have universal scope and that all the world would be blessed, that we would live with that kind of scope, your scope. Father, help us to do that as a community, to spur each other on, and that when we disperse from here, we will change the world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>